We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. And welcome to the Light Years Podcast. Andy, how you feeling? Yo, I see you wearing a U-neck. I think it's going down to your belly button right now. And, you know, (laughs) nothing makes me feel better. Also, it's a little weird when we record during the daytime before the sun sets. Uh, So it feels great. And the Niners just beat the Rams four in a row. We are back in the playoff race. Is there anything better than Nick Mullins? Nothing better. Nothing better in the league. The uh, the Eric Pascal of of quarterbacks. Um, Wait, no, that'd be a good thing if he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, dude, the Niners are good. They're gonna be good next year once their roster is not half on the infirmary. Um, I actually just had the best chicken sandwich I've ever had. So you, you'll appreciate this. My my friends started a uh, pop up where they will occasion like once every month will make these hot chicken sandwiches and all the money goes to charity to help people during the pandemic. Obviously it's been a rough month, rough nine months year for everyone. So check them out at Instagram at hot chicken bros. Hot chicken bros. It's so good. I cannot, it's like the best chicken sandwich, fried chicken sandwich I've had. I got it medium. I didn't go the full spicy, but the kick was, it was good. 
I wish she had told me earlier. I was on a date last night. She asked me, well, if, you're, if you had a last meal, you can only have, I said, fried chicken, any fried chicken. It's literally nothing better in the world than fried chicken. So hot chicken, bro. They're right, they're right in your backyard, too. They're in the Richmond district in San Francisco. But, yeah, they do like a pop-up once a month, and all the money goes to some charity helping people out during the pandemic. So I don't know when they're doing it next. Best way to find out is just follow them on Instagram. Nice. Um, but with that said, let's get in. Dude, we're recording this Sunday, 5 p.m. Warriors officially open camp Tuesday, December 1st. It's going to be it's uh, individual workouts for that first week, and then team workouts start over the weekend. We are back. Yeah, there's a. It took a long time, but now it's coming all at once. The preseason is coming. I think in less than two weeks. And then the regular season it starts with training camp. I think this is the most important training camp that we have seen since Kerr took over. Yes, yes. Even with KD, it was like. Yeah, there's going to be some some growing pains, but they're too good not to figure it out unless, like, KD's just, like, an asshole and doesn't listen, right? This is the training camp where I think it's, like, new coach, like, like the one uh, Andre is coming off the bench. Did you remember, Sam, when they said that Harrison Barnes, like, Peter Vexier, they were saying Harrison Barnes was having, like, one of the greatest training camps ever, and then he was going to be a starter. Andre Godala was coming off the bench. Like, the stuff that you were hearing was so funny looking back. But yes, I think this is the most important one since then. Absolutely. And I spent most of this weekend watching college basketball. Um, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this draft. I feel like we are going to get to double dip if everything works out right. I think this Warriors team is going to be playoff competitive. They have a chance to make a little noise. The clay injury is obviously a bummer. I feel like with clay, they would have been a true contender. Uh, this year is more of a like get in the playoffs, see what you got, and retool for next year type of year. Um, but they get that Wolves pick, and you know how everyone was talking about how the 2021 draft is the best draft and all this stuff. I'm watching some of these guys play over the weekend. I'm like, I would take Jalen Johnson number one overall over Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman. Uh, Kate Cunningham looked as good as advertised. Jalen Suggs. I mean. There is a long list. We didn't even get to see half the guys this weekend because, you know, pandemic season, not every college team has started. But it's actually, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like the Celtics five years ago when they were like good but not great, but they also had those Nets pick picks so they could play both sides of the coin. Like they could watch Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford and like this little fun team they had that wasn't anything special, but it was fun. Uh, but they also had the the high draft picks. So they could keep their eye on Markel Fultz, Tatum, whoever it may be. Really the best of both worlds if you're not like the elite, elite contender who's going to be winning the title. I saw, a, uh, I saw a BJ Boston highlight where he did like a three-step dribble combo into a step back three. And it's not like he's Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs is a guard. Yeah. And BJ Boston's like what, six? He claims six seven. He's yeah. Like, I, I think he's six, a six. I think he's a guard, but he's he's wing sized. I mean, my God! <laughs> like the last time I saw someone do that, like Andrew, Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre, both both I guess long wingspans and and wings and you know athletic. They can't do that. Yeah, that move not, that, that, be, that you know that two second move that I watched. Neither of them can do that. You yeah, know? it's like I'm watching these guys, and you know what hit me? All these dudes were like 10, 11, 12 when the Warriors got really good and all these dudes look like they're inspired by Stafford Draymond 
or James Harden or LeBron. They all like, and it's like the first generation of like guys with certain level of physical gifts where they've been watching the game played the way the Warriors play it. And they're starting to apply it that way. Like I'm watching like Jalen Suggs. I'm like, this guy looks like he's been playing in Kerr's motion offense for years. You know, I'm watching like Jalen Johnson. I'm like, point forward. This guy does like some Draymond things, some LeBron things. Like I, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as either, but it's like, you know how like a decade ago you didn't see guys so, come in with those skill sets. Somebody asked me yes last night, and he was like, "Have you ever seen like some of these guys?" He was actually he was talking about Lamelo Ball, right? And he was like, "Have you ever seen these guys this athletic and this skilled like ever in in this history of basketball?" And, and you're like, "Yeah, I mean, you can think of like." I mean, you can think of like the Magic Johnsons, the MGs, like the great sure. ones, right? But I don't think Lamelo's going to be a great one, and he's still going to be someone you're like, damn, he's six seven, he can dribble, he can pass, you know, he can slash, he can maybe shoot, right? And then you look at this draft, and now you're like, damn, of course, there's guys that have always been like, I think Kate Cunningham, there's always going to be like that guy coming around who's just going to be a generational talent. But then, like, I don't know if BJ Boston is, or I don't know if um, Zaire Williams, Jalen Green, yeah, these guys. But then. Even if they're decent NBA players, they've got skill sets that you've never seen before. It's like guys didn't think of being able to shoot step back threes back then because that wasn't a thing that was a thing until Steph came around, until James Harden really like shot 30 of them and made it annoying to watch. But like that, <laughs> that type of skill, yeah, you're right. I mean, that type of stuff you rarely see. And that's back to your Boston comment. I will be, it will be fascinating to see because I don't think Boston ever wanted to trade that pick. I don't think they ever wanted to cash it in, right? Those picks. I would be curious to see if Golden State would think about cashing it in because the more you're going to watch the season, if the first weekend is as advertised, the more you watch the season, I bet you the more that pick is going to skyrocket in terms of value. Like the Warriors can put that thing on the table and I think can get some type of star uh, come maybe not midseason, but the next offseason. Yeah, you think about like people like just trade the pick for Marcus Smart and all that sort of stuff. And like now you're kind of like, and Marcus Smart's excellent. He's a winning player. But you're like, you, if you threw away a chance to get some wing who can yep. be like a foundational piece for the next 12 years for a good role player for a team that might not even exist because Clay's not there, it might work out for the Warriors. But if nothing else, it's super exciting. Yeah, you better give me Ben Simmons. But even then, I'm like, well, I can get someone that can actually shoot the ball and is athletic as Ben Simmons. So I don't even want Ben to like give me the pick instead. Right now, we're getting a little bit too far ahead of ourselves. But like that, that's like that's the stuff you're you're seeing with Jalen Johnson. I'm only watching highlights. I'm not watching the games. You are because you're deranged. It's fucking 10 a.m. on a Saturday and you're watching. <laughs> I am not. I'm watching the highlights and some of this some of this body control stuff. Some of the stuff where you're watching these guys are like, damn these. These guys could probably play in the NBA now. Like, I would have these guys playing over pretty much every player in the draft that we're watching today. Because even if you watch Anthony Edwards, you didn't see the type of, like, explosion, length, and, like, scoring ability that he had. But, again, who knows? You saw the physical tools. You didn't see, like, body. You didn't see basketball skills as much. Yeah, this is pretty nuts stuff. But we'll, we'll keep track of it as it goes on. We should probably do like a segment every couple of weeks or so on some of the college. Yeah, we got we got to get like an official draft, like yours draft correspondent. We'll put Neil to it. Neil, Neil, your new job is to watch 500 college games a week and uh, and report back to us. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, um, it's, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, so I mean, we'll be checking on that all year. But obviously, what's more important is Steph Curry is back, Draymond Green is back, and the Warriors are in for – I didn't see this being the way the season was going to go about two weeks ago, but I've already pivoted and I'm excited for it. 
Um, this episode, we're going to do our five big questions for the Warriors going into the season. Camp starts this week. Uh, you know, we got some questions here. So let's start with number one. Andy, uh, now that everyone knows who the roster is, give or take maybe a move on the margin, how do you think this team should play this year? So before Steve Kerr was on the team, you remember the Mark Jackson days, the way they played offense was uh, was was Steph and Clay just chuck up whatever you want. Actually, it worked to a degree because they just had the confidence to pretty much do anything that they wanted. And all we had, all we asked for was like, please, is there something else? Is there something else? And they, they went ahead and got Steve Kerr and then he, imp- he immediately implemented an offense, like literally took him like a month and this team became a championship team. So... And and I and Steve Kerr talked about it. I remember all the media guys were writing about it. And I think that's the same thing that's going to happen this offseason. It seems like that's all Steve Kerr is talking about. It seems like that's all the Warriors are talking about. This run, run and gun, but with some type of athleticism with it. Yeah. Seven seconds for Steph. It seems like the more they're talking about it, the more that that's going to be impl- – like it's not a thing that we have to help for anymore is what I'm trying to say. I don't think we sh- – I don't think when we say – oh, stop running that motion offense or like praying that they do the same thing that they did a year ago, I think that's out the window. I think they are going to implement a really fast uh, offense. I just don't know how it's going to work. That's the only, like, that's why it's a question. I just don't know how they're going to do it. I guess if I did, I'd be Steve Kerr. But I think there's no question that they're going to try it. Yeah, so I was I was trying to think of what type of teams do I want them to play like, and two teams have come to mind for me. And that's the Don Nelson We Believe Warriors. And the kind of Boston Celtics of the last few years. The reason I focus on the Celtics is because they kind of run a motion offense too, but they really only have had two guys who are playmakers the whole time. Like it was Kyrie and Horford or Kemba and Hayward. And like their wings, well, like I'd rather have Jason Tatum than Wiggins or Oubre and Jalen Brown. But like neither of those guys are really playmakers. They kind of – they kind of counted on the point guard and the point forward, whether it was Horford or Hayward to be kind of the guys who organized the team and then let the wings do their wing thing in the half court. And I think that makes a lot more sense than some of the triangle sets the Warriors have been running because I don't, you know, I, I just don't think the Warriors have enough passers. I think it's going to be a lot of Draymond and Steph making every decision and letting Ubre Wiggins, uh, Bazemore, Wiseman, whoever it may be, play off of them. You can't get too cute with like having, uh, you know, Stefan Ubre run a s- split cut off of Wiseman as the playmaker. You know, you can't do that. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think, I think it is going to be a lot more. I don't know if it's going to be a lot more pick and roll, but I think it's going to be a lot more set action uh, this season. It's just going to be a lot of. Um, you mentioned Boston. I think Boston too. I'm also thinking Miami. You watch Miami play, right. their offense is pretty um, – like, I, I don't – like, they, they don't have many guys that can also play make. I don't think of Jimmy Butler as a playmaker either. Um, he's kind of a guy who just looks for a shot, and then if he doesn't get a shot, he'll pass it or he'll dump it down. But they ran a lot of set plays. Um, sure. And it's, like, not that pretty but effective because they had Duncan Robinson, and they also had, like, Tyra Hero who tried really hard. Um, but the difference is they have Bam Adebayo, who the who the actually the Warriors do have. Actually, they have Draymond Green. Um, so I think that's probably what they're gonna do. Just a lot of lot of set plays, a lot of four high type of stuff. 
um, and less so on the motion side because there's no there's no way they can run it unless Steve Kerr says, all right, I'm going to play Kevon Looney 30 minutes a game. If they do, then they may be able to run some motion stuff because Looney's pretty smart too. But you can't you can't uh, you can't bank on that. Yeah, and I also feel like um, you you just you can't depend on uh, Wiggins and Ubre and those guys to yeah. to make all the reads you're used to Iguodala or you know Clay or those guys. It's just a different roster. Um, I want to get back to your first point on running. I do think this team's identity will be defined by their defense. Um, as long as they defend and get out in transition, I feel pretty confident that they'll get W's. Um, and they have the the length and enough defensive IQ to get it done. It's a question if they come together and actually defend as a unit. Uh, if they don't defend, I, I don't have any faith in this team doing anything of substance. It's really that simple for me. The the new thing I've been concerned about lately is I love James Wiseman, but then I did think they were going to get like an Aaron Baines. I did they right. were, I did think they were going to get a veteran center, and I think they tried, but I don't think they ended up getting those. Like obviously they they didn't, but I think they tried. I think somebody said they were second. Like they would have got him if Clay was healthy. It is what you always say, and that has to be true for guys like Gasol and Baines, even though they probably wouldn't close games. But the problem is. You better hope. Can, can we? Can you believe? Like, can the problem is you actually need Kevon Looney here to play big minutes for this team to be successful? If you're not going to get a veteran big, if Kevon Looney can't play 25 minutes a game and shore up the defense and be that smart guy on defense, then I don't think they can play a good defense. Because then James Wiseman probably will be a good defender, but you have to wait two years to get there. You know what I mean? So that's the new fear that I have is that they need Kevon Looney to play 25, 28 solid minutes on defense because there's nobody else. There's there's nobody else there unless you think James Wiseman is going to be automatically above average def- defensive player, which I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you could bank on that. If he's automatically that, let's put him in the Hall of Fame because God <laughs> knows how good he'll be at, uh, at, uh, at 25, 26. That actually brings us to our second question. You kind of walked right into it. What is the – and it is my biggest question for the team – uh, what does the big man rotation look like? I was going to ask your thoughts on Marquise Chris because you have Deadman sitting here, but like Marquise Chris might be the start on opening night. Like there is there is a formula where Steve Chris is just going to say, well, whatever James Wiseman can do right now, it's not good enough. We can do the same thing with Marquise Chris, but he knows his system a little bit better. He averaged like a block a game, even though I don't think he's very good on defense. But they just might play him because he's more familiar, and then you back it up with 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 Looney, and then you can see if you can throw Wiseman in there for a few minutes. Which, which I don't know if that's the most successful thing. That becomes how how good do you think Marquise Chris is as a player? Is he an actual winning player? I don't think so. To me, he's Javale McGee kind of. But then at the the thing is, when they had Javale McGee, they could at least back him up with David West and solid players like that, and then just go with Draymond Green at center. I don't know if they can do that here. Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm getting worried about the center position because it, to the point you made, they now need Looney to be what they were hoping they were going to get from like someone like Aaron Baines, who they yep. struck out on. Um, it, it's, it could be the undoing of the team. I mean, I'm seeing right now, Nicholas Batum signed is going to sign with the Clippers. And that's another guy I thought the Warriors could potentially get, but like, Honestly, like I don't mind. I don't. I don't blame guys like Batum for choosing the LA teams over the Warriors when it's clear the Warriors are kind of a step below them without Clay at this point, and that's kind of the reality the Warriors are in. 
Um, getting back to the big man rotation, I think Wiseman plays 20 minutes a game. I might start him even. It might be easier to start him because he can play next to Draymond, who's going to um, – you know, Draymond's the best communicator. It's kind of his best chance of success against Draymond or next to Draymond. But there's another 28 minutes to be played at center. And right now it's just Looney and Marquise Chris. Uh, we know Looney can defend, but I don't know what kind of shape he's in physically or how long he can hold up. Like that's, it's just a lot of weight on Kayvon Looney's shoulders at this point. And then there, and we're going to get to this guy later because um, we have a bench bench progression topic we want to talk about. But you always want to end with Draymond at center. You kind of – it's hard to do that unless you do Steph, Bazemore because of length, maybe Wanamaker, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, and then Draymond Green. Then you, ru- then you run Kelly Oubre at the four. And this goes back to the question earlier, how should this team play this year? That way you can still go small. You can essentially duplicate or try to replicate what's been working the last few years in terms of size and athleticism. But then, where's the shooting? Are they actually going to be able to play defense? Are they also that's good enough on defense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the problem. And that's where it's like, well, if you can get Kevon Looney to play well, then you probably can take out one of those guys. And this will lead to the guy that I think should be that. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, I mean, okay, I want to get back to Marquise Chris. The coaching staff loves him. I actually think he's been a good find for them, but um, I didn't see anything last year that made me think he's going to figure it out on defense. To me, he figured out a role on offense, which makes him a useful change of pace guy, um, you know, to, to bring in, to give you a little instant offense, a spark of energy off the bench. He did average – nine points, six rebounds in 20 minutes last year when he was starting those last 20 games. I think he was averaging like 15 and 10. Like he is an offensive piece, but I don't know if he's a defensive piece for them. He does have the physical skills to be a kind of guy who can switch and, and do a lot of things, but he's shown no ability to at this point. And to me, it just seems like at every other position on this roster, obviously at point guard, you have Steph. And then behind him, you have Wanamaker who is just a solid you know, boring veteran, but like he's solid on the wings. You have Wiggins, Ubre, Bazemore. Uh, Bazemore is a solid vet. The other two have at least proven to be starting caliber players in the NBA, maybe disappointing relative to expectations, but starters Draymond and Pascal at the four go without saying, and then you're at the five position and you're like, I don't know what we're getting here. You know, like Wiseman's the future, but like, that doesn't mean he's ready to be the dude by Christmas. Um, Looney's injury history is just terrifying. And then um, Marquise Chris was a really nice little find for them last year. But, like, are we really ready to put that much responsibility on Marquise Chris's shoulders? Like, can you get to the playoffs if Marquise Chris is your go-to center? Yeah, that, that, so that's, that's the um, – God, I can't believe we sound like Steve Kerr right now. Steve Kerr is probably talking to Bob Myers and, and Kirk and saying, yeah, you got to get me another center. And it's crazy that I think even if they didn't have Alan Smilegage, even if he wasn't on the roster right now, they would still be in a center position. Like, he's not the reason why they couldn't sign Marcus Hall, right? He's not the reason why they no. couldn't sign Aaron Baines. If they wanted Aaron Baines and he wanted them, he'd be signed to the Warriors, regardless of Smilegage. The problem here is that they just have so many centers that can maybe play and maybe not play. Looney can play. 
but he can't stay healthy, right? So it's a lot of it's a lot of on uh, it's it's a lot on James Wiseman's shoulders. It's a lot, and that's why they drafted him. So I think some people are saying like, well, you want to draft the best player available. I think they thought he was the best player available. He was also the best fit because you draft Lamelo Ball. How much is he really helping this team more this season than someone like Brad Wanamaker? By the way, also the other thing is. I don't think not signing Glenn Robinson or Nico, Nico Batum are bad things. Like, I don't think those guys move the needle that much. Like, I, I don't think those guys matter. You rather just – Brad. what's the difference between Brad Wanamaker and Ken Bazemore to me than, than Batum and Glenn Robinson? It's pretty minute, if anything at all. We don't know if Batum can play. Glenn, Glenn Robinson, you know what you're going to get out of him. It's fine. It's nothing special. So I think – them not picking up those guys and keeping someone like Michael Mulder, who I think we're going to get to in about a second, is worth it. I think you keep that upside for someone that you think or has shot that percentage from three. So I think it's all to say that the Warriors offseason was fine. I think a lot of it is does rest on James Wiseman's shoulders. A lot of it. If they want to be yeah, like and that seems, four seed. And that seems unfair to me. Um you know, so we'll see. Yes, Who knows? Yes. By the time this pod is released, maybe they signed Dwayne Denman. And it's, you know, Denman is a flawed player. If he wasn't a flawed player, he'd be on an NBA roster already. But he is at least another veteran big body who knows how to carry out a defensive game plan. I would feel a lot more comfortable if the Warriors just had one other big like that. Because my other concern is overusing Wiseman early in the season when he isn't physically developed is how he ends up with like sprained shoulder, bruised hip, the type of thing that ends him playing like 50 games his rookie year instead of all 72 this year. And for me, I'd rather have Wiseman play 15 to 20, you know, like about 20 minutes a game and play all 70 than try to have him play 30 minutes a game. And by the 15th game, he's out with a shoulder sprain because he has to bang Jokic, Gobert, Anthony Davis all in back-to-back games and like he's 19 and those dudes have grown man bodies. Yeah. I also, yeah, I don't think there's any way they do that too. You know, Steve, like Steve's as conservative as they come, not politically, but on, on <laughs> as a coach, like, so he's like, I don't think there's any way that that happens, but then like Steve's going to, Steve's going to rather just throw Marquise curse out there. Right. Like it, no matter, like it, he's not going to push Wiseman to 30 minutes a game unless Wiseman's playing that well. Um, like or it's a, or like, it's a team with like uh, without a big center where you're like you're not as worried about him getting the wear and tear from from like Gobert elbowing him all game. I think a good comp for James Wiseman. I know we were meant to make this a James Wiseman pod, but I'm really excited uh, for what he's going to show here in a few weeks. I think a good comp for him in terms of playing style and potential is um, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, I think is 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 a pretty decent comp for someone like Jared. Ooh, uh, if he turns into Jaron Jackson Jr., there will be another ring in the Bay Area before Steph retires. <laughs> I would, I will, I will put money on it if that happens. I don't even know how you measure that, but I, I, I put money on it uh, because I feel like yeah. And Jared Jackson came out and kind of like, kind of like, um, kind of like Wiseman a little bit in terms of like you didn't know much about him. Both guys super young. I think they were both 18, 19 years old when they came out. Um, but you watch Jaron Jackson play. He, oh, he also, he got hurt. He got hurt also. So that, that was one problem. But he could shoot. That's one. He could shoot. And I'm not talking about like at the rim. I think he shot like 50%, um, which is like, I mean, he's a big. 
so I assume why he shot. I just so you have it. He shot 36, 36 percent from three as a rookie, thirty nine and a half last year. Six threes. Yeah, I mean, he could he could shoot the ball, but yeah, if Wiseman can shoot thirty six percent from three next year, I will do a naked lap around San Francisco. I'll be very happy. <laughs> Around, around Dolores Park. 1.6 blocks a game. I will not last- do that. I can already hear Sheet cutting that out and throwing it on the timeline. <laughs> um, but I think that's a good comp for him in terms of like, I think they have a little bit of the same playing style. Uh, Jaron Jackson shoots a lot outside. He can move very well. He can attack the rim, even though he's super, uh, super long and super tall like Wiseman. Um, also, Jaron Jackson could be a great defender. It's not like he's Carnathine Towns with DeAndre Ayton, right? I think those guys, you're like, well, they could be, but they're probably not going to be good defenders. I think with Jaron Jackson, a little bit different. He probably will end up being a good defender. So I think that's the combo I have for James Wiseman. So if he, if Wiseman shows the type of potential that Jaron Jackson has, I don't think it's out of the question also for him to do that. So I, I think that's probably my, my realistic thought process. The other thing is he fouls a lot, but that's every rookie big. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's the other part of it. He just has to um, – I mean, there's just not much he can do about that. He's going to foul, which is why we want them to just get another big man just to have the, the option on the roster. Anyway, we've exhausted this question. I do think the big man is my my big question. My number two big question is how can where can this team get shooting outside of Steph Curry? Yeah, this is the this is the uh, this is the rough one because if I tell you Michael Mulder, which is the guy that I talked about, which I'd I'd fine with him keeping over signing someone like Batum or Glenn Robinson, he's not going to play enough for that to matter. Like even if he shoots, I think he shot thirty one percent from three last season. Uh, yeah, but he shot just. I'm going to give you a number here. He shot forty one percent over the last two G League seasons on eight and a half three-point attempts. Like, that's serious volume. Yeah, I'm just going to say he can fucking shoot, right? Like, he, yeah. he not only can his numbers case say he can shoot, like, he looks like he can shoot. It's not like Andrew Wiggins who doesn't look like he could shoot, but at least he shoots 35% from three, or 33, or I don't know what he's at um, nowadays. Who knows? But I don't think they're getting any shooting outside of Steph. I think it's going to be on a night-to-night basis who's hot. They have so many mediocre three-point shooters that I think it's going to be whichever guy is going to have the four for nine night. Whichever guy is going to shoot, you know, three for eight that night is going to be the shooter. Um, and that's, and I think that's just the, that's how the careers have gone for Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, and Ken Bazemore. And Ken Bazemore was a guy that shot like almost 40 plus percent uh, last season for Sacramento when he played with them. But before that, he was shooting sub 30. Um, for a long stretch of time, he's just some guy that's he's just a guy that's streaky. Same with Wiggins, um, and then and then Ubre. Maybe I have a little bit more confidence that he could be that guy. So if I had to pick one, I'd pick Ubre. But I think it's just going to be a night to night basis of whoever's going to shoot best. Yeah, so Definitely I'm gonna not Draymond. You, I'm going to give you some numbers here. Last year, obviously, Steph missed the full season. Um, last year, they took 31.3 three point attempts a game. That was 25th in the NBA. They shot 33.4%. That's 29th in the NBA. Now, if you were to ask me what percentage does this roster shoot if Steph doesn't play, they're about a 33 to 34% three-point shooting roster. Like, I don't have a lot of hope that Wiggins or Oubre are going to turn into great shooters. I just think they're streaky shooters. But if this – I'm going to throw – I'm going to keep the numbers coming. Let's assume 12, Steph takes 12 threes a game. He can do that, right? 
that's not as many as Harden because he's not going to take 40 step backs in a row, but that's like second most in the league. And he shoots about 40% on that. And everyone else on the roster shoots about 33%, makes one in three. This team would, would end up taking, would end up with about 36% from the field as a team. 36% is exactly middle of the road. For me, I think that's kind of where they land. I think if this team takes 35 threes a game and it splits out that way where Steph does a Steph thing and everyone else is kind of streaky, they're going to be a middle-of-the-road three-point shooting team, and I think that's good enough if they defend. Uh, I don't have too many hopes that they're going to get better three-point shooting. Like, Wanamaker is a good shooter, but he doesn't take volume. He's a guy who takes like – And he shouldn't. He he just – he has a slow release too. Yeah. Baysmore is no different than Ubre or, or Wiggins. I mean, he's shot better at times, yep. but he's generally yep. up and down. Same thing. Yep. Um, and then there's, you know, Molder. Your best case for Molder is he kind of figures out like a Bryn Forbes type role. You know how like Pop uses Bryn Forbes up and down depending on the matchup? Maybe Michael Molder can do that for the Warriors, where you're like, we need shooting, so we're going to play him for five, six minutes here. I love to get the Forbes. shooting going. Yeah, I mean, they, they they need to mix and match this thing right now because it, they don't have Steph and Clay, where it's like, all right, we got all the spacing we need with these two dudes. Um, now it's going to be a lot of mix and match, and then we haven't even got into it, but this will be in the next question. Um, Jordan Poole and Eric Pascal are somewhat of X factors for this team's yes. ceiling going forward. Um, let's talk about scheme because before we go to the next question, love the numbers. The scheme part is huge. What Steve Kerr did with the mid-range jump shots, I think was more, hey, we have the greatest shooters ever. We have the three greatest shooters of all time, Steph, Clay, KD. I don't give a shit what you guys shoot, right? You guys can shoot a three. You guys shoot a mid-range. Just shoot a shot. Whatever shot you shoot is going to be the best shot at that time on the floor because more often than not, it's going in. One KD shooting like 55% from mid-range, some ridiculous, right? Um, I think he realizes that, and I think part of what he's going to try to do this season in terms of playing up and down is Ubre and Wiggins. If you get a mid- open mid-range jump shot, sure, take it, but do not turn down the three because it's not like these guys are great mid-range shooters. So if you're going to shoot a shot, shoot a three or take it. Like classic advanced stat stuff, right? But I think it's something that they're going to have to put – they're going to have to implement because they can't have a team – that was shooting mid-range jump shots because Steve Kerr is thinking, well, they're get, they're locking down the three, so we're going to have to take the next available shot, and that's going to be the mid-range shot. It's like, yeah, it might be, but not for these streaky guys to shoot these type of mid-range jump shots. Shoot that three instead. So I think that that's going to be a big thing as well is what type of shots they're going to take because they better shoot 35 attempts is what, you, what you're saying, which is about top 10 here, top top 12. They better shoot 35. Yeah, it, it comes out to about 11th or 12th in the NBA. So. They have to shoot that much. They have to, I think, at the very least. They cannot go lower than that because that would tell me that their scheme is still predicated around, around finding the quote-unquote open shot, and that's really not going to work for guys that really aren't shooters. Yeah, when you don't have the talent, you sometimes have to take the early shot, which might be the best one you're going to get because what the Warriors were able to do in the past was they trust the fact that they're smarter than you, so if they kick the ball around enough, they're going to get an open shot. That's not this roster. This roster might need to play seven seconds or less. If Uber is open with 18 seconds, put it up. That's the best shot you're getting because if it's if it's not that, it's going to Steph and he's going to have to take one on four. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let me do a couple of reads here before we move on. All right, so bet online. Football is 
back. It's up and down. We've got the Ravens and the Steelers, the Niners, and who knows where they're playing next week. Maybe they'll play in Taiwan, or it's pretty open out there. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, uh, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today. Start off on wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. You know the deal. Promo code BLUEWIRE, BetOnline.ag. It's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates and quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best uh, offer available anywhere. Go right now, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, man. Let's get to the next question here. Um, So this brings us to the next question. Which bench guy's progression is most important this season? We kind of danced around this on the last I, Wow, these are all flowing together. We've really put together a great show. Wow. <laughs> you you really put together a great show. This is the guy that I this is this is I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. Uh this is the guy that has to show up this season. It's Eric Pascal. Um and we actually haven't talked about him much this offseason. To me, he needs to have a Montrez Harrell type of impact. I don't think he's gonna be a closing type of player. I don't think he's gonna be a star. I don't even know if he's going to be able to play playoff games maybe when they get there, if and when they get there. But they need that type of energy off the bench. They need someone to score off the bench. Easy buckets, right? The type of easy buckets that Trez gets. They, he's not the same type of player, but he needs to have the same type of impact. Um, doesn't even need to shoot 35% from three. Like I don't, I don't think he can, but he needs to be able to shoot it at maybe 32, like a Draymond style, 33%. But he's a great ISO scorer. Okay, good. He can get to the rim. He can finish through contact. He can shoot free throws, right? So if he's a guy that's coming off the bench and you're revolving the second, like, um, like the second uh, unit's offense around him, I think that's the guy that has to show up. I think he has a better handle than than Andrew Wiggins and Ubre, at least functionally to the rim. So I think that's the guy that to me is going to have to average. I mean, I don't even care what he averages. He just needs to have the impact that that Trez has, um, and for him to get there. I guess maybe you can talk about Jordan Poole, but that's my guy. That that's the guy that needs to be good uh, off the bench this season. He has the lead. He essentially needs to lead the team in bench scoring. For the, you, you want to be like the quote unquote sixth man. Yep. Yeah. Um, it would be good. He's also another six 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 seven guy with a seven foot wingspan, which kind of fits into what they want to do defensively. Um, even though his 
I mean, as a young player, he wasn't particularly great defender, but I think Pascal can get to passable on defense. Um, if not better, honestly, he competes for me. Actually, the bigger one is Jordan Poole. Uh, we were just talking about shooting and shot creation. The dude can create a shot and his shot looks good. It did not go in at all last year. In my opinion, he, it's a little too slow. And I should ask you this. Do you think it's easier for someone who has a good looking jumper to speed up their shot or someone who has kind of a, let's just say has mechanical issues like Eric Pascal to fix that, which do you think is well, more likely to be fixed? Well, since I'm not a shooter, I won't pretend to act <laughs> like I know, but I'll ask, I'll, I'll save the boxing out questions for you. Yeah. Yeah. Since I'm not, you can ask me how to, how to make backdoor passes and screens. But to me, it feels like the former is probably easier, right? Like it's always going to be easier to come from a baseline of, Hey, the guy's a shooter. Uh, rather than making a mechanical change, unless you're telling me Eric Pascal is the next coming of Kawhi Leonard. Um, and also there's really nothing that we've heard um, about Eric Pasco this offseason to think that he's figured something out shooting wise. I mean, to be, last- to be fair, the, the pandemic has just kind of shut down us learning anything about anyone's offseason. But, but we'll see, yeah, we'll see very soon. But I think Pasco was someone that last season, they were supposed to change his shot because he was shooting, he was jumping 10 feet in the air to shoot a three. They changed it to a set shot or sort of a normal shot, but he wasn't comfortable with that, so he went right back to shooting beforehand. I don't know if that's a red flag. Doesn't seem great. Doesn't seem like that's a good sign for the future. So it'd be interesting to see how he shoots the three ball this year. I wouldn't count on it. Jordan Poole is probably someone I would count on to shoot a lot better than he did last season. Like you would think, what's successful for someone like Jordan Poole this season? 36%? I would think at least. Yeah, yeah. I want to just see him. I want to see him put up. Get shots up more. I, I would be happy with 36. I was actually thinking 37%, but it's the yeah. same thing, right? Like Oregon go over 1% here. Um, for me, sorry, I was on that throw here. If he, if he builds upon what we saw at the end of last year, which I don't know how much you can really read into that because they were awful at that point. And it wasn't like, you know, teams were coming with NBA finals intensity against Jordan Poole at the end of the season. If he can look like the player that, he's capable of being, which is a shot crit, kind of a heat check guy, basically a Lou Williams type off the bench. I think that'll go a long way for the Warriors because I'll give him a shot creator when Steph sits. And occasionally you can put him next to Steph when you just need some instant offense. And, you know, you, you realize, okay, putting two smaller guards next to each other is not going to be the greatest defensive thing, but for like a three minute spurt, this will get us going. Um, I also think he's most important because I'm okay with Eric Pascal being the exact same player he was last year, this season, if Jordan Poole takes a step. If Jordan Poole is again kind of lost and looks like he's still more of a long-term project than a guy who can help them out now, then that puts a ton of pressure on Eric Pascal. So for me, I'd rather see Jordan Poole come along because this team desperately needs shooting. Um, and I think he's the most likely candidate of the bench guys, the bench young guys, to take a step as a shooter. So that's my choice. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Uh, for me, I think it's like Jordan Poole, I can see just not playing games. Like he could be a guy that I could just see playing like no minutes, right, because of Wanamaker, Bazemore, and then Damian Lee. Like I, I could see weeks where Poole just doesn't play. Um, and then like even Nico Mannion, right? I think with Eric Pascal, he's going to have to play. Um, there's no way around it. He's playing 20 minutes a game at least. 
Um, and then last season, the way he played, the way he scored, he played on a team that was terrible. So he had all the touches of ever. And I think now he's going to be in a little bit different of a system in an environment where can he still play the same way? Um, so I think it's just – I like the comparison of of Jordan Poole and Eric Pascal. Uh, can they get to a Lou Will, Trez, right, type of player? Again, Lou Will and Trez are like – Lou Will is like six – I mean, that was the best benchman scoring combo. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like a high bar or it's like you want them to get there. They probably won't. But I think it's like a good – it's a good barometer to set for those guys because um, because it's it's not like Brett Wanamaker is going to be here next season. You know, it's not like Ken Babesworn's going to be here next season. Damn near Kelly Oubre might not even be here next season. So it's like those guys are guys that you want Poole and Pascal to take the next step up. I, I just think that Pascal's probably going to have to play more minutes than Jordan Poole. At least with Jordan Poole, if they don't play him, I just I don't know if it matters that much to the Warriors if he doesn't play. Um, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, we, we haven't mentioned Damian Lee, but he's not young. But Damian Lee is a guy that Steve Kerr likes because he knows exactly what he's going to get from him. Yep. Um, for me, though, it would be disappointing if Poole can't play himself into the rotation and it's Wanamaker and Damian thing. Lee. Um, that might be what happens. I, you know, if if he can't outplay Damian Lee, he can't outplay Damian Lee. But for me, Jordan Poole taking a step would be huge for the team. Because Damian Lee, his thing is like he can shoot well, right? Like he can shoot well. And he, he knows how hard. to move. And, yeah. and he plays hard, definitely. It, but like neither of them are that great on defense. Like I don't think of Damian Lee as a defender. I don't Jordan Poole certainly not. But but Jordan Poole is someone that can handle the rock. He can make some passes. He can go to the rim. Every time Damian Lee puts the ball down, I'm petrified. At least with Jordan Poole, I'm a little less petrified. So I think he has a little more upside there. Um, but yeah, if 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 Poole's shooting 31 percent from three, like get out of there, right? Like you can't do it. At least at least someone you can put out there. He's shooting 37, 38. So, um, um, so yeah, yeah, I think. They they need they need a little bit more from Poole. We'll we'll see if it's possible. Yeah, I mean, if Poole if Poole takes a step, I feel like it's it's going to be a very positive sign for the team. Um, last question: Who has the most pressure on them? Oh boy! You want me to go uh, first? Are we are we talking about? I'm 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 like trying to think. Oh, you can take this any direction. I mean, we might as well take it every direction. Every direction. <laughs> if I were to say who has the most pressure on them for this team to be good this season, it is without a doubt Steph Curry. It is not even close. Um, so let's start there. He had like they've put a lot of length and athleticism athleticism around them, which we're very happy about. But then I think it can people can literally play a triangle in two defense. Where in my, they, yeah, right. Like they can they they can play a triangle in two defense on Steph, and that and Steph is not someone that's going to look to ever break that. Um, so I, it, it just it goes without saying. I don't think I need to go through why the pressure is on him. He has a lot on his shoulders for a team that if you think Kelly Oubre can shoot thirty higher than thirty five percent, why? It's because of Steph Curry. If you want to go to Andrew Wiggins, can he shoot better? Can he play better? Can he finish better than who? Can he unlock the quote unquote potential that he's had? Why? Steph Curry, right? Draymond Green, same thing. He's great on defense, but if if Draymond Green, his bread and butter has always been the pick and roll with Steph Curry. That's why he has two on one advantages, right? So if you think he's throwing those lobs to James Wiseman, why? It's Steph Curry. So I think without a doubt, the pressure is on Steph Curry uh, for the team to be good. I think the pressure on this franchise, though. I don't know if that's Steph Curry. That might be on someone else. But I'll, I'll let you answer it first, and then we'll take another direction. 
Ooh, I'm, I'm kind of curious where you're going with that. I was okay. So I'll go with the other one. Um, I'm going to say Draymond green. Um, the lame honest answer is I think there's equal pressure on Stefan Draymond, but, uh, but I think Draymond being in good shape, which he looks like he is and being the vocal leader and getting the defense going matters more because I think what Steph, I, I think there's less variance in Steph's mood. You know what you're going to get from Steph. You know the effort level you can get from Steph. You know the shot making you're going to get from him. And with Steph, my concern, if, if I even want to call it a concern, is I just need him to stay healthy. I just need him to not break his hand. I need him to not sprain his ankle. I need him to not, you know, tweak his hip. Like, just stay healthy and I feel confident in Steph. I think Draymond's the one who's been off of a few bad years where he's been physically beaten down. He's now gotten the very long layoff that he needed. Um, because they played so many playoff games and he's the one who always took the biggest physical toll in the playoffs. Like everyone gets beaten down in the playoffs, but not everyone's playing center against a guy who's five inches taller than them and having to box out a guy who's 270, like Draymond is, right? I yeah, think I think, the, yeah. I think Draymond tends to I, I think they feed off each other. Like there's no other way around it. Good cop, bad cop, leader of the offense, leader of the defense. Um yin and yang like so much of the warrior success is related to the yin and the yang of those two and i i guess uh for me the pressure's on draymond to remind everyone the reason he got that hundred million dollar contract is for all the things he can't do there's only about five players in the league who can do the things he can do you know everyone focuses on the lack of a jump shot but how many guys can quarterback a defense lead the fast break be a triple double threat, basically do all the things he does. You know, like we talk about how great Ben Simmons would be here. Who would you rather have in a playoff game? Peak Draymond or peak Ben Simmons? No, yeah, it's not close. It's so for me, I, and I think Draymond's heard the noise, you know, actually <laughs> not. I think like he's basically let everyone know he's heard the noise. Draymond is, uh, uses that stuff as motivation. So I'm excited to see him. And I think the pressure is good for him because, uh, he plays best when he's angry. There also shouldn't be an excuse, though, too. Like, it's not like he's 36 years old. Like, I get it. Like, he's been great. He's got that contract. But he's not 36 years old. You know, you don't don't get to play that card. Like, he's done enough. Like, he has done enough to to be a Hall of Fame Fame player. He's done enough. He's been an all-star. Like, he's going to be known as an amazing basketball player. But there should also be no excuse to the fact that if he comes out this season and he shits to bed, like, that's not good. Like, simply like, I don't think there's an excuse for that. You can't just say, well, he's worn down. Like, he's older now. Like, he's just not the same guy. I don't think he gets to play that card. He's in his early 30s, man. Like, I, like and, he, and he's taken a year and a half off. So, I, I'm with you. Um, I, I, I think to me, I guess, it's just that stuff is more important. So, I think the pressure is more on him. But, again, sure. if you look at it from the perspective, like, hey, if there's a guy that needs to bounce back, yeah, easily, by far, it's Draymond Green. By far. Uh, even if Clay was healthy, it'd be, it'd be that guy, right? Because with Clay, it's at least you can say he's coming off an ACL. So there's really not as much pressure on him. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the lame, honest answer is it's 50 50. And it should be because they're the two leaders of the team. Everything with the Warriors started with them and it's going to end with them one way or another, right? So, um, I, you know, I'm excited to see it. I think there's going to be an appropriate amount of hunger for both of them. There is, though, I think one guy that um, that I think there's a lot we of pressure. Mentioned? Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on this guy to to really smile, Geach. Yeah, I <laughs> wish if there was any 
pressure on Smiley Gish. I think this team is finished for it. Steve Kerr. It's Steve Kerr. Like the guy, again, all these guys are are, are pretty much they're they're safe. They've won three titles. They've got the dynasty. Like all that is done. And 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 you know, we're just talking for the future. Yeah, you're, you're, only a tr- you're only a troll if you're you you are a hundred percent a troll if you're like, ooh, if Steph doesn't do anything this year, we have to rethink how good he really is. Like only exactly. a troll would say that. He's already cemented himself in basketball history. And to me, same thing with Steve Kerr. He cemented himself as a top five coach in the league. You know, one of the greatest role players, just winners of all time. But I am very curious, and I think there's a lot of pressure here to see what he can do with a team that is not as talented as the one that he came into five years ago, six years ago. Um, middle of the road talent. Not middle of the road but talent. Not, but not uh, contender either. And I don't think that it's a bad thing, right? He came in with all that talent. Again, that talent didn't get very far. And he took that talent to become an all-time great team. So he can do that. Now it's, can Steve Kerr bring a middle road team to become a contender? I'm not asking Steve Kerr to turn this team into a championship team because they don't have Clay, they don't have Iguodala, they don't have Livingston, they don't have those guys. Andrew Bogut even, right? Um, But can he build a system and a scheme that allows Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, uh, James Wiseman, and those guys to flourish? Right, because if you if 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 guys take a step back, like to me, for example, if Andrew Wiggins takes a step back, a guy that's been in the system for a year, I think that says a lot to me about Steve Kerr and whether he could coach this team. Because you're not always going to have elite talent if he's going to be the coach for the next ten years. So and and you're not always going to have like the highest character guys. Like we, yeah, you know they love to talk about character and they should, but like there's a reason guys like Steph Clay and Iguodala and, you know, we can Livingston are so special because like, that's not the way most guys are wired. Yes. I, I think a good example to me, I know you love, you love the Boston comps. I love sure. the Miami comps. Miami's my, like that's, that's mine. Um, because with Spo, look, he has all time talent. He won two championships. He got Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, LeBron, won two titles, got through the growing pains. And then from Udonis, there, he has them. Yeah. And Udonis, right. Um, from there, he, he hasn't won anything since, but he's shown that he can win with middle of the road talent. And I think, and he can develop know, talent and he, and that's something that Steve Kerr, that, that's what he should be aiming for. I think Spoh's the best coach in the NBA. I think he's the best. I would coach. agree. And, and I think that's what, if, if Steve Kerr can show me that he can build a team the way that Spo does and has the longevity that Spo has, yeah, then he's right up there. I just haven't seen it. And so I think that's like sneaky pressure kind of a little bit. Because, um, again, Steve Kerr to me is not going anywhere. Um, you know, Bob Meyer is not going anywhere. You know, Kirk Lakeup definitely not going anywhere, right? To me, Steph's not going anywhere. So it's like – so it's like it's not a matter of yeah, are these Ste- guys Steph ain't going. going to, Steph ain't going anywhere unless he demands out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's not getting traded, I don't think. Um, so – yeah, they're so not going to they're not going to go Danny Age cutely shop them to see what picks they can get because that's dumb. <laughs> so um, that's my that's my guy. Yeah, that that's a guy that that has a little pressure on him. I would also throw out um, Bob Myers has a little pressure on him because and his pressure is different because he's a GM. But now he 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 took Wiseman number two. He has this Wolves pick, which could potentially be the piece that links a dynasty to maybe a second run. Right. And, um, you know, he doesn't have day-to-day pressure because like 
I mean, what can you really do with the Wolves pick right now? Like he's not going to make that decision until next summer. Right. But like, we'll get to watch Wiseman. And if Wiseman turns out to just be another run of the mill center, you can find like a Deandre Jordan and Patrick Williams, who went number four, I'm just picking a random name turns into kind of a guy you want to build around. Let's say he's like Paul George or something like that. That's not going to look good on Bob. And, you know, and that's, you know, if, if we come into the season and we start seeing a Coro or Patrick Williams, one of these guys who went, you know, after Wiseman looks significantly better. I think the pressure will mount on Bob and people will be like, do we trust Bob with this Wolves pick and this draft full of all these talented Jalen's to make that pick, you know? Um, and it's not fair to put that all on him, but, but like he is, the head say, of, yeah. he is the head of the front office, you know, he gets to, it's his, uh, he's the guy who's going to get credit if the pick works and blame if it doesn't right or wrong. So I, I just, I just don't know if he's the guy that is the one that's a hundred percent making that decision. You know, like, I don't know if Bob Myers, he might have wanted James Wiseman, but I, I don't know how much of it is he gets to make that decision. I think part of it also is, well, Steve Kerr wanted James Wiseman. So he gets, so I think that pressure is probably on him too. Cause it's, it's it's more organizational. Yeah. Could be everyone. Um, I mean, I I think it's a good point. Do you think if the Wiseman thing doesn't work, like, I don't think this is going to be the case, but if the Wiseman thing doesn't work out and let's just say worst case happens and they whiff on the Wolves pick, they pick Harry B instead of uh, Kawhi Leonard. Do you think they'll start to be pressure on the Warriors and be like, you know, Oh yeah. Are you, you know, you used to, you guys used to have Jerry West. You used to have Travis Schlenk. You used to have Chelsea Lane. Now all I see is people who claimed all the credit for that, unable to do it without them helping. I, I, I hundred percent agree. I think there's that, I think there's a little bit of that noise now, but I don't think it's that large just because the team is still good. And just because nobody cares about Jacob Evans, it's like, fine. Like they should have picked someone better than Jacob Evans, but. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, they've also like, when you win three rings, people give you a mulligan on a few bad picks. It, exactly. But you you don't hit on a top two pick and then a top and then a lottery pick in the next season, a loaded draft. I think they will hear the noise and I think they will deserve to hear the noise. That's the other thing. I, I think they will deserve it. Um, if those guys, I, now again, I, I also don't think that, you know, any of these guys, I also think Wiseman was the right pick. So that that's why, like, I, I have to kind of comprehend that these guys later on, like Patrick Williams becomes the next Paul George. Like that just, it, that, that just, it doesn't make sense in my head. Sure. But again, like, who knows? Who knows? Right. Who knows? Um, to me also that falls on Steve Kerr because look, Paul George became Paul George. He would have become Paul George anywhere, but dude, James Wiseman is literally in the best position possible. Like there is nowhere that he could have gone that like, if James Wiseman ends up being Chris Bosh, he like, it's either he could have done it anywhere anyway, but if it's not that, then it has to be the Warriors. Like that's the only situation for all these guys to excel in those top five picks, right? Um, If Patrick Williams ends up being Paul George, it's not because of where he went. It's because Patrick Williams is that fucking good. Um, So I think it also falls on Steve Curtis. Hey, you better develop these guys correctly. You better figure out how to develop James Wiseman um, if he's not going to be like a superstar in himself. So, um, yeah, there's some pressure on these guys. Um, that that's that's how we'll uh, that's how we'll pre- preview the training camp. But I'm excited to see, see how it goes. I'm excited to see them compare James Wiseman to some some superstar coming out. 
uh, and, and hear what Fitz is going to say to come the first preseason game. Oh, I'm, I'm so ready for Fitz. Maybe next week we'll do top five cringeworthy Fitz projector our, our, ta- our takes for him. All right, let's get out of here. We'll be here. Um, we'll get another episode up in a few weeks. Subscribe, rate five stars. Thanks, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.